We appreciate the opportunity and I sincerely appreciate the confidence that Bishop would have and myself and Brother Hilton to be able to go out of town and, and trust everything's going to be handled and done according to what he would wish and we so appreciate this and we are praying for their safe return tonight to be in the house of God with us. We miss our pastor when he is not here. Amen. And we so enjoy having Bishop and Sister Riggin here with us. Amen. To lead us and guide us in these uncertain times, we have a certain Savior. There is no wavering. There is no going back. His command is still true. His promise is still intact. Amen. I'm so glad I know who Jesus is. Amen. He's not a personal Savior. He's the Savior of the world, of the universe. He's the creator of everything. Hallelujah. I thank him for it. Hallelujah. I want to get into the Word of God. We'll be turning, if you would like, to Romans chapter 12. And we'll be reading from our text. But I do want to say a few things um, as we get into Romans. A few, I guess, informative notes to help frame up the conversation that takes place in this letter. The letter was written in Greek. The people that it was written to spoke both Latin and Greek. But the writer chose to emphasize the letter to the church in Rome and telling them what he had and sharing the message to them. This is a church that had been filled with the Holy Ghost. These are not sinners. So that will help clear up some of the texts that you may read in reading through Romans. Amen. I'll tell you this. Romans Road is a dead-end street. It's a dead end. This important passage of Scripture that we'll read through and the book of Romans is powerful. The Holy Ghost inspired the men of God to write these precious Scriptures and to give unto them the words of which they were to pen. And it was meant to be effective and edify a broader audience. It was not limited to the church just at Rome. We see that if we could think of it in our terms, this was a, a group chat that got documented. This was an email that was reply all. And we read this letter today and we can apply it to our lives and grow and be edified in it. An example we have is in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16. It says, and when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that likewise, ye likewise, read the epistle from Laodicea. So he's given this is not just for you. This isn't a love letter just to you. It is to everyone who is able to read it. And so the sharing of letters was not to publicly shame anyone, but it was for it to be edify and instruction and correction. And it was administered to the broader audience. And in turn, it helped to curtail issues that may have been happening in other churches. It helped bring the body together. What's important is the youth of that day, they were instructed to learn the language of Greeks, even though they were Latin. They were instructed to learn this language in school. It's also noted in history that as babies were born, they were turned over to a Greek nurse. So they were having a letter written that would apply to them at their birth that even the language that they would not be their mother tongue, it would be applicable to them because they understood Greek at a young age. And so we find that uh, the limitations of the Latin language, the Apostle Paul was able to express 
what God had instructed him to write, and it was to be that beautiful mechanism that we can pick up and hold in our hands the written word of God. And this letter helped establish the modern church of today. It is because we have these 66 books that we can hold them in our hand, have them on electronic devices, find them all over the world. There is without excuse that the Bible is accessible to everyone. And God ordained it from the very beginning, from picking the authors, the language it was written in, the places it was sent, and everybody who shared it from abroad, even to preserving it within uh, the clay pot so it could be resurrected and put together to construct the complete word of God that we have today. It is infallible, it does not lie, and it does not contradict itself. And just because we have a letter that is ancient and old does not mean that we can pick and choose what is easy or more applicable to our times. All of it applies to us today. And we have, for the benefit of the church, at our disposal all that God intended for us to have in our hands to be saved. You need nothing but the word of God. Commentaries are men's opinions. The Bible, as Bishop said just the other day, is God's word. And we lean and we trust in God's word. And I am so thankful that we are founded upon the holy written word of God. Amen. This brings us to our text, which many of us could probably quote verbatim. But in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, This was one of the very first scriptures that I remember memorizing other than Jesus wept in Sunday school. And I got chastised for standing up in front of the whole church because the teacher had said, Douglas has memorized a scripture and just being a wee little lad and she forgot to check with me and verify which one it was. And so I stand up in front of the adult Sunday school class at the completion of Sunday morning service and I proudly stood there and quoted Jesus wept and sat down there was not much admiration from the Sunday school teacher. And so then I challenged myself to learn more of the Word of God. And Romans chapter 12 and 1 is one that has been within my heart for many, many, many years. And it leads and guides me. It says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. Can we lift our hands and magnify him laying our Bibles down, asking God to continue to move in his house this morning. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. I fully believe that God has a plan for this service and wants to do something mighty in someone's life today. I do not believe that the God we serve would waste one apostolic service 
in the days we live in just for us to see each other and understand we're all doing well. This is not a welfare check on anyone. This is a heart check for someone who needs something from God today. And it is upon us, the church, for us to be sensitive to those needs as God has given the message for me to deliver. And I'm so thankful that he has given me this opportunity. I would much rather be down on the floor preaching the preacher on. But the lot has been drawn to me, and I am so thankful to be able to share this precious gospel because I don't have to worry about selling something that is false, invalid, fake, or something that can be debunked. It is infallible. And it is with that same confidence that I can stand behind this sacred desk and tell you everything that God has laid on my heart. It is for a reason, and it is for someone today. None of it is made up or constructed. None was pulled from a website. You can trust the word of God that it is for your time and your season. And it is upon you if you walk from this house feeling empty or nothing really applied to you. It's God, I want you to change me. And that's the very prayer that I myself pray. God, change me in this service tonight, today and tonight. I want God to reach down in my life and mold me and make me as he sees fit, not how I want to see fit. Men get involved in things, and humanity constructs things and makes things, and then they become accepted as though they are gospel. There are things that are made and created that last for thousands of years and hundreds of years and but I promise you, everything that is man-made will crumble and be proven to be a lie without fail. Something that I would maybe highlight, even since we're going through and looking at a few verses of Scripture in Romans. The Roman Catholic Church credits Peter for founding the church in Rome. They call him the first pope. However, the Apostle Paul never makes mention of Paul, I'm, I'm, uh, Peter in the book when he wrote in the letter to the church in Rome. He had the perfect opportunity. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there to Romans chapter 16. You will look where the Apostle Paul takes the opportunity in the first several verses of Scripture. There's a bunch of people there that I'm so glad Bishop has not had me read those first eight or nine verses of Scripture in Romans chapter 16. And Bishop, I know you're listening. Please don't do that to me. Just reference it at a high level, if you would. Because there's a bunch of names in there. But you can scan through with your own eyes, and you will not see Peter's name there. So we find that the church was well established. And the Apostle Paul had every opportunity, even in other books, letters that were written to the churches. It never references Peter being the pastor, the pope, as others would say through tradition, of the early founded church. But what he does say is, the church at Rome, you have a reputation. One that's well established. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout 
the whole world. So if Peter had ever gone to Rome, it would have had to have been after Paul had been there and after the church was established. We find there was a body of believers there. It's just one of those things that people create and build into one of their building blocks and it's false. We know that God has a plan for the church and the church at Rome as it was important. It was not near as important as it was for the church on the day of Pentecost. It was important for that church to be established. And it was so important that the scriptures note every a disciple that was there that stood and, and made comments and reassured the people that were there as the Spirit of God was poured out. They were all noted and role was taken during this time of when they were at Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul, in his argument, when we transition over to Romans in our text, he's wrapping up this argument. And there were people that were, no doubt, a part of the church that had come from Jerusalem and come to Rome to take part in. And we find that the Apostle Paul is wrapping up his argument unto the believers in Rome, and he makes his grand appeal in through our text. In the preceding 11 chapters of, of Romans, he presents the argument to lay aside the growing issues that were divisive in the church between the Jews and the Gentiles. They were both believers. And Paul presented equal sides of the argument and to reconcile them back to what would be govern them going forward. The undisputable message of salvation for all. It is not exclusive to anyone. He was telling them, listen, it is for the Jews and for the Gentiles. They were encouraged to press on, and that's what I want to preach to you this morning, to press on. They were in the midst of all of the confusion and between brother and sister of the church and trying to figure out what is right and what is wrong. We have the Apostle Paul pen a letter and say, I'm here to sort everything out. I'm going to look at your side and I'm going to look at the other side. And we're going to come to a point to where this is the truth. But there's some things that you have to work through in order for you to have what I'm trying to tell you in Romans chapter 12. He goes on and he begins to commend them and encourage them to press on to what would keep them what would in turn comfort them, and then what would also please God. You see, the confusion was amongst themselves, and God wasn't happy. And God sent a man with a letter telling them, listen, this is what you need to do to please God. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 11, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him he was letting them know listen none is higher than the other but we are all have an opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and we will be saved he goes on to say in verse 13 for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved now I understand this is one of the key building blocks 
for some church denominations of saying, see, that's all I have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. You see, that's in fact false because it was written to a body of believers, not to the unsaved. And so we find that the Jews, to the Jews, Paul wrote, they, he was telling them, you're not rejected by God. And the people that he had chosen would still be a part if they chose to follow the promise. And that promise was extended, as we well know, in the book of Acts to include the Gentiles. And it was this group that they were sparring with in the body of believers between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews had been that chosen people for generation after generation with seemingly from the very beginning they were chosen and here comes the Gentiles saying, hey, we're apart. You have to call me brother. And they're like, I don't think so because you're not from Abraham. You're not from this part and I'm from this tribe and they have whip out their own little cards and say, but here's my lineage and here's the tribe I'm a part of. And the Gentiles just says, I'm sorry. The word of God, what I have experienced, has been poured out. And Paul assured them that God will still come to the aid of his people. The remnant of those that were still being true to God. The Gentiles are without excuse. We are grafted into the true vine. The reason we are here is because... The Jews fell. They did not retain and understand and follow after the true teaching of the Messiah and everything that encompassed that of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They instead chose to cleave unto tradition. And there are many that still do to this day. The Gentiles, us, we are not to boast in our newfound opportunity to benefit in the fall of others. And the fruit and the nutrition that we get from the vine has been made available to us through the grafting in process. And I've used this example many times. I remember as a young man, my grandfather taking me to his little orchard that he had down in Arkansas behind the house. And he had grafted in different limbs into different trees because one was dying. And he went out. And he looked at the tree that was dying and says, it's because of this. And so he went and cut the limbs off and grafted it in with a skillful hand and cut and precisely grafted in a limb and wrapped it and so it would be strong and it began to grow together. And the next thing you know, year after year we went there, there would be fruit from a tree that had died because it had been grafted into life. Our original vine is corrupt and godless this world as we sing is not my home i have nothing here that ties me that i'm willing to say god i want to serve you but this in my life is greater there is nothing in my life that i'm willing to lay down everything that he has given and the promise through the word of god that he has said listen if you will just but listen and follow these words I will give you eternal life. There's nothing in this life that I'm willing to say trumps anything that God has promised. There is nothing for me to brag about from my lurid past where it sits there and it's nothing. There's nothing about Douglas Goff 
that is so great that it supersedes any promise that God is willing to give. Sometimes as men, you feel like I have lifted myself up by my own bootstraps. I have done this. And people ask you, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. No one, Brother Hilton, ever starts off with, here's all my bad habits. No one starts off with all the things that you don't like to talk about. Most of the time, it starts off with I. And you reflect upon yourself. You're trying to put your very best foot forward. And by the end of it, you make statements that are such as, I have this, I work here, I have this title, I possess this. And people begin to ask your hobbies. And then you can begin to, well, I bought this or I have that. And you begin to frame up everything that, that constructs I. I, Douglas Goff. And you want everybody to understand who you are based upon what you are saying. But God says none of that matters. None of it matters. Not one thing matters. The greatest title you could ever have is to be called a son or daughter of his. The greatest thing you could ever possess is the baptism of the Holy Ghost and being filled with his spirit and having his name upon you. So this morning as we sing about the name of Jesus Christ, it describes your father, not some distant relative or someone who's told you about him, but you know who Jesus Christ is. It's because we have been grafted into the vine of Jesus Christ. We have been grafted into the vine of the church. We are called out of this world. And there's nothing to brag about our past. And if you think you have everything you need, maybe just go look at a news article or two. As I was talking to Sister Goff last night, there are people that had to walk away from everything and grab a suitcase and go hide in a subway tunnel, and that was all they had. The 60, the 80 hours of work didn't matter at that point. The car that was in the garage that they couldn't buy gas for didn't matter at that point. All the art and everything that decored the wall that when you sit there in your easy chair and you look around and say, look what I have assembled for my life, didn't matter at that point. It has no value. It's not going to keep you warm. It's not going to put uh, happiness in your heart. You're going to sit down there and lay next to the person that works a minimum wage job that sell, sit there and smells no doubt like grease from frying food all day at the fast food restaurant. And they're going to sit there and say, hey, if you need anything, I'm here to help you. And you're trying to build a community and you find that everything that you thought that matters does not because you just have a few changes of clothes and a bottle of water, and you're just trying to survive. And you sit here today, and many of us may have come to church out of routine, but God has a plan for your life. He's trying to show you, you need to press on. In the midst of confusion in Rome, the promise is reiterated to the church. And this promise is that God does not bestow a gift of repentance and faith for all in a temporary window and then leave that soul in ruin 
But salvation is made available to all. And you can take God to the bank because he never withdraws himself from a repentant heart. For God to forsake the hurt and wounded and leave them to an eternity in hell, it would require that God would need to repent from his promises. It would mean that God himself would have to turn his back on his promises for him to leave someone who is willing to give up everything so that they could know who he is. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 29, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. The gift or benefits that God gives are not revoked at random. When God gives an invitation to a soul, there is a guarantee that is never revoked. Salvation in the Holy Ghost was guaranteed by the blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary. And there is no expiration of the offering of salvation. It applies even in this very moment you sit in today. In the moment you sat and woke up this morning that you're miserable, your heart is heavy, you don't know what's going on around you, you see the earth crumbling of people doing whatever it is and countries invading countries and everything that you think is solid, it's no longer there. And you're saying, what is really going to happen? God is not going to turn his back on his people. He is going to take care of his children. An example, and I've ran across this many times, and it's pretty frustrating. If you've ever subscribed to a music service and had a song or album built into a playlist, and you liked it a lot, and you listened to it, and then one day you're like, oh, I want to listen to that song. And you go and you pull up that playlist. And it could be Amazon Music, Apple Music, and you'll look at it, and it's grayed out. And you're like... I have this on my playlist. The problem is the terms and conditions expired for that artist. And that subscription service has to negotiate terms back with the artist or the recording label for that to be made available back to you. And in that time, it may never show back up. But sometimes it shows back up years later because things were sorted out. But God doesn't do that. This preacher is here to tell you today the words that I've said and the words in your Bible that you hold on your lap or in the pew next to you or if you didn't bring a Bible in the the holder in front of you are still true. The promises, you'll never find them that where they will not apply to your life. When God gives a promise, He gives it to you for a reason. Because it's to your benefit. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, it says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And you can expect to see this marble we call earth disappear before one of God's words ever fail. That's a promise. And when this world comes to an end, it does not mean that God has failed. It means that his word has been fulfilled. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, 
I'm going to read several verses of Scripture. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. You know who that any is? Everyone that's sitting here today and those that will and those that have never heard the Word of God, but there's a Bible study coming their way. There's an invitation to truth coming their way. God is not that any should not experience this Acts 2.38 message. So when this all comes to an end, we serve a God that says, I pushed and I pressed for everyone. I gave everyone an opportunity. And if you're here today without the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you're one step closer to experiencing newness of life like you've never had before in your life. And don't be like the one who will stand there on the day of judgment and say, well, I never made it to the house of God. But there will be a time where God's going to say, but I reached for you. And if you're here today, it's because God is reaching for you. But that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That means that there is nothing that you are ever going to be able to construct that will be able to withstand that day that when it all comes to a close. There's no bunker that you can dig that's deep enough to keep you from the wrath and the end of what God is calling when he brings this all to a close and says, Church, come on home. I'm done here on earth. I've got a plan for you. You're going to worship me and you're going to magnify me and sing my name till the end. And there is no end. I'm going to define until we say stop. And it's going to keep going and going and going. Verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. There is coming a day when it will come to a brief, uh, come to a, 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 a abrupt end where everything will come to a close and there is no negotiating an extension of this agreement. There is no terms or conditions that we can go back and say, God, but you didn't do this. You didn't give me an opportunity. The fact that you know his name, the fact that you know who Jesus is, will debunk every excuse you have today. The songs we've sang have removed every excuse. The Bible that we've read so far has removed every excuse for anyone under the sound of my voice and every message that's logged on the website and every Bible study that's ever taught has removed every excuse for you on the day of judgment. God's going to recall those and say, remember when sister so-and-so told you about this? Remember when the preacher got up and preached about this? Remember when the pastor stood and looked you in the face and said, if, you can, if I can do anything, I'm willing to help. But you said, okay, I'll, I'll do things on my own. And you make your own decisions. Those we brought up in your mind. And they'll be the matter of record on the day of judgment. 
and you'll hear those instead of hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. And without a renewed, renewed and submitted heart, reading the word of God, it's in stark contrast of someone who just tries to pull something from scriptures at a surface level, such as accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you will be saved. It's not there. They refuse to acknowledge, and I've sat in their services when they've sat there and read the Acts 2.38 message on Pentecost service, Pentecost Sunday, and they try to force it down a path that it's not meant to go. They try to say it's just for that day. It was just for their time. But they don't go and read the scriptures where it's prophesied and told that it's going to be for all flesh. And the promises in the scripture that it says for whosoever will, let them come. And they try to make it about the people in Jerusalem instead of the problems that face them in their life of that day and that moment. And they say just accept the Lord Jesus Christ. They try to diminish the power of the living word of God. And I cannot profess to you that I have this great revelation of scripture that no one else possesses. But what I do have is a belief that God will give revelation through his word to lead and guide his children. He will not leave us without a guide map, a map to lead us and guide us. And the steps we must take, he is with us always. And the Bible says, even until the end of the earth. That means when we go to 2 Peter, that he is with us all the way to the end. And when you get to books like Romans and read our text that state that a living sacrifice is required to be acceptable unto God, it is the absolute truth for living for God is not to be done so begrudgingly. In Romans chapter 12, in verse 1, it says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. I'm here to tell you, saints, this world is going to try to conform you every day you get up. Every time you open your email, you go to work, no matter what it is, it's trying to conform you to them. But it says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If I could put it this way, by no means am I trying to change the word of God. But if I could put it this way, I implore you to present your bodies a living sacrifice by leaning on the mercies of God. And this sacrifice is holy and acceptable unto God. And this request is totally within the norm for what you will gain by serving God. And this sacrifice, it is to not to be conformed to the world around it. Instead, how you stay acceptable is to renew your mind through the mercy of God. And the end result is you walking in the perfect will of God. It is the will of God that you walk in the will of God. 
It is not some elusive thing like the Trinity that you cannot understand. And the best way they can describe it is a mystery. The Bible tells us this is fully and completely understood the deity of Jesus Christ and who he is. And likewise is salvation. It is not a mystery. And these mercies of God that we lean on, we have access to a loving Savior because of his compassion to sacrifice himself for us. It was his sacrifice that opened the door of salvation. And there is safety to yielding to the mercy of God. Now you can beg men for mercy. And you're appealing to a nature that is not prominent within them. You are appealing to something. And you see people that are standing before a judge and they make, they give them an opportunity. Would you like to say anything to the victim's family? Would you like to say anything before judgment is given to you? And they make their grand appeal. I'm so sorry. Here's the thing. Our opportunity for that grand appeal is in a service like today. You can't strike a deal with God. You can't stand before the throne of judgment and sit there and say, God, if you give me one more chance, he's going to say, I gave you every opportunity to walk to an altar and kneel down and ask for forgiveness and submit yourself unto the word of God and to the voice of the men of God that I placed in your life and the word that I placed in your hand. It's more than Proverbs and Psalms and reading through the, the, the gospel message. I'm telling you, the word of God is given for us as an instruction. It's here given to us as a roadmap, given for us so that we can be saved. So that day of judgment, when it comes... We can say, God, I've obeyed and I've read and I've applied your word of God to my life. And he'll say, well done. He doesn't ask us to be perfect. He asks us to lean on him for our perfection, for our maturity in him. And you'll say, well, I can never measure up to you guys if you only understood how wretched this flesh is inside of me. If you understood the battles that I have to fight, if you understood the tears that I have to pray in repentance, if you understood the things that I beat myself up and have to drag under the blood and crucify this whole flesh, if you only understood me, but you don't have to. You just have to lean on the promise. You don't have to be like me. You don't have to be like Brother Hilton or every other preacher or anyone else in leadership. You don't have to be like anyone else next to you. To be like Jesus. On earth, I long to be like him. All through life's journey, from earth to glory, all I long is to be like him. That's all that really matters. This jacket is just a facade. These shoes are just a facade. The tie is just a facade. When you strip us all down and what we really are, our flesh, our nature, we're just human beings relying on the mercy of God. We would not have a testimony if it wasn't for the mercies of God. I would not be able to preach this message because forgiveness would never be applied to my life if it wasn't for the mercies of God. 
And we have examples time and time again. In Acts chapter 13, you'll talk about Jesus coming from the seed of David. David was flawed and had his problems, but there was a promise that came forth from him that God says, listen, if you'll just follow the examples, he may have murdered a man. He may have had uh, taken a wife that was not his. and He may have broken the promises and lived in sin and tried to lead a people and live according to God and then just fail and fall on his face and and look like he's the most miserable failure there is. And I could say, and Douglas Goff has done the very same thing. I'm just a man. But David did something. He went to the house of God. The place you're at today. And no matter what it is that you've done in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, God is here, and he's faithful, and he's just to forgive you. And he's here in this very moment to reach down into your life and to give you a new mind, a new heart. He's here to restore you. And you can say, listen, I know what I used to be. I know the man or woman I used to be. But God is here today reaching for your heart. And he's not just doing it for showman's sake. He's doing it for eternity's sake. He's doing it so you will know who Jesus truly is. He's appealing to you. I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, I implore you, saints and sinner, today, If you can just cast your cares on him. If you can just press on past your will and submit to his will. Because we serve a God who is the father of mercies. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3, Blessed be God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comfort us all in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. He's saying, listen, I've comforted you, and that same comfort is for everybody else, and you are the conduit of how I Pass that comfort out. I'll reach down. My hand on your life reaches down and helps change lives because we have the Father of mercy. In the Hebrew, this is an expression of giving more importance, more energy towards the source of mercy. The use of Father of mercy shows that mercy flows from the Father. Our Heavenly Father is the source of of mercy scripture says it this way in psalms 86 and verse 5 for thou lord art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee and 50, go down to verse 15 but thou o lord art a God full of compassion and gracious long-suffering and plenteous in mercy in truth. 
Going on to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses. Though we have rebelled against him, who is in Micah 7 and 18, who is a God like unto thee, thou pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. That's the God that's accessible to you today. No matter what you've done, God is here and he's gracious and he's just and mercies belong to him and forgiveness flows from him and it'll wash you and make you clean. It'll renew your mind so you're pleasing unto him. And you may say, Brother Goff, why is a living sacrifice important? I'll tell you why. It's because when you, it is because when the sacrifice is presented, it is to whom you give it besides what lives and what's dying. When you say, God, all of me is available for you. He's the one who steps in and says, I want you to change this. I want you to change that. And you're in my hands. And I begin to mold and make you who you really need to be. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. Guess what? That covers us and beyond. Since the promise was given, we have not exceeded a thousand generations. That means we are under the promises of God. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 21. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. If you want to experience the baptism of the Holy Ghost, a change of a heart and mind, I commend you, press on. Reach through the things the world is trying to put upon you. When the voices of this world are louder than what you can even think and they drown out your good intentions, press on. I read this verse of scripture and I said it the other day. And it's a powerful verse of scripture. And this is one that was talked about David. It said he kept the commandments of God. When he fell, he kept the commandments of God. You can read the passage of scripture. This verse of scripture is well known by many. And it's a prayer that I pray. And I've, in early morning prayer, heard many saints and bishop pray. And you know what? It doesn't just stop as a repeat after me. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't just a read it, repeat after me type of passage of scripture, Brother Hilton. When you read the word of God and it becomes a prayer from your heart, it opens the doors to your soul. And the next thing you know, you went from, oh Lord, I praise you and I thank you. You're a good God. I magnify your name. Nothing wrong 
with exalting the King of Kings. He deserves, and he alone deserves that. But he wants us to get to the point to where we get down on our knees, and it's more than just the surface words that we're willing to let other people hear. And we open the doors to our heart, and we get down and we say, God, you see how wretched I am. You see how filthy I am. But your grace, your mercy, your blood. God, I need you to renew me in this very day. To cleanse the thoughts from my mind, the intentions, God, from my heart. You know what I wrestle with. The flesh, the thorn in my side that prevents me from doing what you want in the kingdom, God. You know what it is. And I need you to lift me up and get me over this. I want to press on. And you begin to name things. And instead of vaguely talking about it. Or instead of talking about thanking God for doing it for somebody else. You begin to get down where the rubber meets the road. And you say, Douglas Golf is a sinner. And I'm in the hands of an almighty God. David did that. David sinned. David took life in his hand and crushed it for his own pleasure and his own benefit. But he prayed a prayer, and I'll read a portion of it to you. In Psalms 51, in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. If you don't know how to pray, and you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, start here. If you're a saint and you've sinned, start here. If you've failed God, start right here. If you're not meeting up to his standard, start right here. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Not within you, but within me. This gets personal. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. But he doesn't stop there. It's not just for your benefit because we read in Acts chapter 13 where David finding his way back to the presence of God was throw so the seed of Jesus Christ could pass through and go down generation after generation and finally come to the fulfillment of the promise. There is going to come a Messiah and he's going to be born of a virgin and it was from the tribe of David. We have that same obligation. Verse 13, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. It's not just for your benefit, but it's for everybody around you so that they may be saved. So he puts a clean heart in you. He renews a right spirit. He lets a spirit fall on you one more time, but it's for others. We take this gospel message and we take it to others. He's saying, hey, church at Rome, forget about being Jew. Forget about being a Gentile. It's about being a living sacrifice for others. We have this hope. This refuge, a place of cleansing 
because of the promise that Jesus Christ gave in Luke chapter 24. It was prophesied through all of the scripture and he, Jesus, came to fulfill, fulfill that promise and it was God in flesh that fulfilled it that we need a savior. However, tradition will hold you away from what the words of Jesus commanded. Tradition will stand between you and what God himself has said to do. They were given as instructions to establish the church in the New Testament. Luke chapter 24 and verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, thus it is written. And thus behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. The Romans' road is man's creation. Instructions to journey to Jerusalem was spoken by God. The fulfillment of this Acts 2.38 experience is divine because it's God inspired. God designed. He's the one who said to do this. Instead of trying to pin your salvation on a few passages of scripture that men take out of context and say, accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior. I admonish you. Why don't you follow the teachings of Jesus Christ? Because in your Bible, those words are read. Those are the words that Jesus Christ himself said. Go to Jerusalem. And all of the forms of salvation that are commonly taught require you to say a sinner's prayer, confess your sins to a priest, sign a membership card, make a public declaration, and be accepted by a local governing church body. All of those point you to man, but the Acts 2.38 message points you to God. And when the scripture is fulfilled in your life, it's a God moment, not a man moment. Musicians, would you come as we stand this morning in Acts chapter 2, in verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There's nothing in there when the church in the book of Acts was established. The, the, the history that we can still align our biblical truths back to none of them said except the lord jesus christ as your personal savior nobody said here sign this card and put your name or start paying your tithes so you can be counted as a member but he says listen if you'll just forsake everything in your life if you'll follow after me as it says in acts 238 if you'll repent of your sins be baptized in a watery grave in the name of jesus i'll fill you with the baptism of the holy ghost and the evidence is speaking in tongues as the spirit Spirit gives you utterance. There's nothing in that that says I. 
You leave I at the altar when you say, God, I want you to forgive me. I want you to forgive me and wash me. I is buried in the baptism of his holy name when you walk up these steps and you get down in this watery grave and you feel this water wash over your soul as the name of Jesus is set upon your body. I is buried. You become a part of the church. You become a part of the sons and daughters of Christ. You become one of his. And your testimony is, I'm a part of the kingdom of God. And you say, no matter what it is, take it from me, God. I want you. And in that moment, the prayer you're going to pray is touching Jesus is all that really matters. And your life will never be the same. Your testimony will rise up out of that watery grave and you'll say, I remember when he washed my sins away. I remember when I left that watery grave filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues and I laid aside this old flesh and I put on the priestly garments and I said, I'm in his priesthood. I have a message I can share. I have the word of God that's living in my heart. Saying of God, if this message doesn't burn within you, if this message is in the love upon your lips and consumes your heart and your mind, go back to Psalms chapter 51. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. I'm here to tell you this gospel message is for all. And this message of press on has no one that is exempt. You're standing here today or sitting here today under the sound of my voice or listening online. Nobody is exempt from press on. We must all be a living sacrifice presented unto God. A living sacrifice is what's reasonable of us. You know what's unreasonable? I, my flesh. That's unreasonable. I'm not ready. That's unreasonable. You have a God that's willing to give you everything if you'll just sacrifice your life to him. Can we all find us a place to, place to pray? I believe this deserves a response. God is reaching for hearts. God wants to change someone's life today. Can we be sensitive and pray unto him this morning? Heavenly Father.